Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. As you can see from our Bible reading, we're in Daniel, and have been in Daniel now for quite a few weeks, and uh, getting into the last uh, few chapters of Daniel, and uh, which has been great. It's been great to just sort of see the way the Lord's been working through uh, the nation of Israel and uh, also through the prophet Daniel at this time as well as he's um, sharing uh, what he's, the Lord's been giving to him and uh, seeing many, many, many things coming through that. Now to help us set the scene for today, we're going to be thinking about prayer. Uh, that was a long prayer that we read of um, Daniel's there before. Uh, here's one of the most remarkable things about prayer. When we pray, we're actually acknowledging that there's something is out of our control when we pray. It's, there's something that's beyond us. We're powerless. We need help in this situation. When, when we pray, we're actually calling upon some other power beyond us to help us at this time. Because it's, we're saying, I can't do this. I need something else to help me. Now, I think nearly everybody in the world, everybody, I mean that word everybody, prays at some time. They're not always genuine prayers that people pray, but I think even unbelievers in certain crisis moments will pray as well and ask God to help them in a desperate circumstance, like, Lord, please help me. They'll utter those words, maybe if it's a life and death situation, I don't want to die. But all too often with those who are unbelievers, when it all works out well, well, they just move on in life and they just forget about the one they cried out to when it happens like that. So I think everybody, in a sense has this recognition here that there's something outside of me that I can call upon in some way to pray. Well, we're going to see that today. We see this beautiful, genuine prayer of Daniel's here as he seeks the Lord, mainly in confession of sin for the life of Israel. So we can look at that today. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to follow on from where Abby read to. So pick it up in verse 20, and we'll just read the remainder of the passage. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I've now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I've come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it will be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half a week he shall put to an end to sacrifice and offering. 
and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Father, thank you that we can come to Daniel chapter 9. Uh, Lord, it is your inspired word, it is what you've given to us today to read. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you would uh, help us with this complex piece of scripture, particularly the last four verses, uh, Lord, to do our best uh, to receive understanding that comes from you so that we can love and serve and worship you, Lord. Please help us today, Holy Spirit, we pray. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, those last four four verses are pretty... um, hmm, What's happening in those last four verses? Well, we're going to get towards the end of that and uh, try to decipher our way through that. But we are into the final chapters here of Daniel. And one of the standout things we've seen about Daniel throughout this book here is his godly character. His godly character right from chapter 1 all the way through. And perhaps a high point for Daniel here is his dependence on God. His utter dependence on God. Daniel has a grasp, a really good grasp, that all of life revolves around God. All of life revolves around God and all of his purposes uh, that God's going to achieve for this world and for his people as well. And if we think about Daniel, he's only one of a handful, perhaps just a small few, who truly stay dedicated to the Lord at this time. The vast majority of the nation of Israel just gave up, just walked away threw in the towel and said, this is all too hard, we just aren't going to be following Yahweh anymore. But not Daniel. He stayed with it. Daniel had a very good grasp of who God is, holy and just and righteous and sovereign, but also loving and merciful and forgiving at the same time as well. He had this really good grasp of who God is. Uh, Daniel also knew that God does interact with his people. He's not something that's distant and remote and disconnected altogether but interacts with his people. Namely through then, it was through the prophets delivering God's word, but also through prayer as well. So Daniel knew that God is the God who is there. Not the God who's not there, but he's the God who's there amongst his people, no matter what they're going through and what they're dealing with. So from out of this understanding and Daniel's godly character, we now see him praying at a very heartfelt level here, particularly in this chapter here of chapter 9. And with that in mind, we're going to think about this today. The Lord delights in a humble heart that approaches him through prayer in seeking mercy and forgiveness for our sin to show himself great toward us. The Lord delights in a humble heart that approaches him through prayer in seeking mercy and forgiveness for our sins to show himself great towards us through that mercy. Okay, let's jump in. Right throughout Daniel, we've seen his convictions shining through his character. That's been a very strong element of who Daniel is, his convictions uh, of God. Uh, Daniel is a God-enthralled man. Daniel is a God-centered person. Daniel's captivated by the person of God. Daniel takes seriously what God is doing and what God has said. Now, we actually see this in the first couple of verses here of this chapter. You can see this uh, intention of Daniel to want to know God and who, who he is and what he's saying. Uh, Daniel now is in his late 80s, possibly early 90s even. We're not exactly sure, but he's definitely in his 80s and probably late 80s. But he hasn't given up on the Lord. He hasn't sort of gone into retirement and said, that's it, I'm just going to cruise now. Not at all. He's still going strong in seeking the Lord's face no matter what age he is. He's been in Babylon now for the best part of 70 years. That's a long time. That's seven decades. 
And he knows what the Lord has said through the prophet Jeremiah about this exile. Daniel has been immersing himself in God's word to know and to understand the Lord and to understand the times he was in. We see this in the early verse there where he was reading the prophet Jeremiah. Here's probably what he would have read in Jeremiah. Have a look at this. We'll put it on the screen for you. Jeremiah 25, 8 and 11. This is Jeremiah prophesying before the Babylonians came. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you've not obeyed my words, he's talking about Israel and Judah here, because you've not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, if that's not enough, God says, moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Daniel's read that. That's the context of Israel at that time. It actually became, as we said right through Daniel, a smoking ruin. God said, that's what I'm going to do. And it's going to be like this for 70 years. You'll be in Babylon 70 years. Daniel also reads on further, just a few chapters later in Jeremiah, and he reads this as he's understanding the times. He says in Jeremiah chapter 29, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now just stop there. You've probably heard that verse many, many, many times. You need to understand that verse in its context. It's not going to be for a long time until some of these things will happen. So you often hear people just spruik that verse out, but you've got to understand the context that's coming in. He goes on, verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is what Daniel's reading in the prophet Jeremiah. He's thinking 70 years, 70 years. This is what he's doing. He's actually immersing himself in the Lord and trying to understand where is this time taking place. See, Daniel's convictions here are shaped by his character. They're shaped by his character. Daniel takes God's word seriously. And this leads him into prayer there. You see in verse 12, and God said, and you will pray to me and I will hear you. Daniel's being shaped by being immersed in God's truth, by being immersed in God's word. Daniel keeps an eye on the calendar. If he had a smartphone, he'd pull it out and hit Google Calendar or something like that and say, yep, 70 years. I put it there and it's going to go ding. It's happening. 70 years in exile. He begins now to seek the Lord in prayer for the deliverance of Israel, just as God said it would take place at that time. 
What do we see here? We see here Daniel's character as a godly man seeking the Lord as his creator and life giver, as his sovereign king. And he just doesn't do this at the end of 70 years. Okay, 70 years, I'll start praying now. We've been tracking with Daniel all the way through. He is a disciplined guy, regularly praying. He got back in trouble about chapter 4 or so because he was praying three times a day and went to the lion's den because of prayer. So he has been a man of prayer, a godly man all of his life. Now, even if we stop and just consider that, that's a bit of a wake-up call for us, isn't it? The character of Daniel. How seriously do we take the Lord at times? Are we studying God's word and trying to understand the times we're in? Not so much the 70 years thing, but just understand the state of the world and the state of ourselves. Do we read God's word and take it seriously like Daniel's doing this for us here? This is how Daniel prevailed over a compromising culture. God-centred, God-enthralled, God's word immersed, understanding life. And that gave him strong convictions in a compromising culture uh, in this world. Okay, so we see Daniel's praise. And the prayer that we see there is very instructive and very helpful for us as we consider what Daniel's praying there. Because we see again that Daniel's godly character shines out in all of its humility and reverence for the Lord as well as he enters into this prayer now on behalf of the nation of Israel and himself. And the prayer very much is a confessional prayer. He's confessing things that have happened to the nation. Have a look at what it says there in verse 5. We have sinned. And done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled and turned aside from your commandments and rules. He's confessing this. He's actually saying this is what we have done. And what I like about Daniel here as well, he's not actually pointing to others in this confessing of sin. He's not saying they have sinned. He's saying we have sinned. He's actually identifying himself with the nation in this way. Daniel's owning it. He's not sort of pointing to them. He's not pointing to someone else. On behalf of his people are saying, it's me. It's us. We're in the wrong. We've acted wickedly. We've rebelled against you, Lord. And we've turned away from your word and gone our own way. It's us. We've turned. We've rebelled. We've acted wickedly. We've done all these things. And then Daniel spends about two-thirds of this prayer continually confessing this. Confessing where we have gone wrong, what we have done as a people. And he does it in humble contrition as well. Have a look in verse 7 for that. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To you, Lord, he says, belongs righteousness. You are righteous, God. You are perfect in every way. You are holy in every way. Everything you do is right, Lord. But to us, your nation, to us is open shame. We are treacherous. We've openly walked away from the giver of life. We've openly walked away from the hand that feeds us and the hand that provides for us. To us belongs shame. I could imagine him sitting there thinking, I can't believe what we've done, Lord. How could we do this? How could we walk away from the sovereign king who provides everything? How could we be so treacherous in doing that? 
To us, Daniel says, belongs shame. How, how could we do that? But we've done it. And then he goes on in this confessional prayer. He says, Lord, you are right. You are right to bring this judgment upon us. This is right. Look at verse 14. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity. This is the judgment. This is the smoking ruin of Israel. You have kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous. He is right in all the works that he has done. Why? Because we have not obeyed his voice. The Lord is right in doing this. This is what we deserve. We've been told what to do and we didn't do it. Daniel's not trying to dodge the issue here. He's not looking for excuses. He's not looking to try and play the blame game on somebody. Daniel's owning who they are. He's confessing their sins. You know, I think today we have a big trouble with that type of honesty. We struggle with that. We can so easily go into protection mode. We just want to protect ourselves. We don't want to be open and we don't want to be vulnerable and we don't want to confess these things. We just want to actually hide it away. We just don't want to show a sense of weakness. We don't want to confess and do that. And when we do that, when we sort of hide it away and don't confess it and sort of pretend it's not really there and not pay attention to it, well, we never really move down the pathway of finding forgiveness. We never actually move it down the pathway to break those broken attitudes that we've put in place because we just don't want to own it. We don't want to own up to it. Here's something else we see about Daniel's prayer. From verse 16 onwards, he now begins to move into what we might call asking or petitioning God. He's been confessing all of their sin and now he wants to ask and petition God for mercy upon them. And even in this mercy, though, as he's asking for something here, Uh, He's concerned about God's glory in this situation. Daniel now prays for the Lord to release his hand of judgment upon Israel, and he does this by appealing to God's mercy. Have a look at verse 17. Now, therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant and and to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake. This is the central aspect here of this prayer. It's about God's glory. For your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary which is desolate. Answer this prayer, Lord, please. Hear the pleas for mercy upon your servant now. But make yourself look great through this because this is about your glory, Lord. It's about your people who should be glorifying you. For your sake, please, would you do this, for the glory of your name. It's a glorious prayer. If we actually just take even more time than we've got today, I encourage you to go home and just read through that prayer and just see the way Daniel carries himself here in confessing the sin and then praying and, and petitioning for God's mercy. Even the way he finishes there in verse 19 is powerful. Act, Lord. See, Lord. Hear, Lord. Please, Lord, you can see Daniel's heart pouring out here on behalf of himself and the nation of Israel. It's a beautiful prayer of confession here before a just, loving and merciful God that we see Daniel praying to. Well, God answers Daniel's prayer right from the get-go, right from the very moment he's actually 
uttering this prayer, God answers it. Verse 21, we're told there that while Daniel is praying, the angel Gabriel is dispatched with God's answer to his prayer. Gabriel reassures Daniel that he's greatly loved. Greatly loved, Daniel. And he brings a word to him now, which is God's answer to his prayer. But this word's really hard to understand. This answer is really difficult to understand. I'm thinking, Daniel might be thinking, what is going on here? Maybe Daniel obviously got more insight than us, but I'm reading this and I'm thinking probably these next four verses here are probably some of the hardest verses to fully understand in the Bible. Now you might think, what do you mean by that? Well, I've done a lot of reading this week over various commentators, some sort of more pastoral and some more technical it's been hard to understand what is actually taking place in these four verses. Some of the most difficult verses in the Bible to understand. So what I'm going to try and do is not give you all the multiple views that I've seen and read about this week. I'm going to try and pick a line here that stays true to what is the big idea of what God is saying here and not get us confused in the finer details. See how I go. Now this is an answer that Daniel receives of good news, Bad news. It's good news, bad news for Daniel. What's Daniel expecting as he's been reading through Jeremiah previously? Well, the 70 years has come and gone and now we're all going to go back and then Judah, Israel will be restored again to this thriving nation that's centred around temple worship. That's probably what he's expecting as he reads Jeremiah. Here's the good news we see in verse 24. We see there, to finish the transgression to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. So that's good news for Daniel. It's like, okay, we're going to put an end to this sinful activity. It's all going to happen. And why is that good news? Because sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what crushes our souls. Sin is the worst thing about us as individuals, as people before a holy and just God. Sin utterly separates us from God. But now the Lord's going to put an end to this. That's really good news, as we'll see it unpacked. Then Gabriel speaks about this. 70 weeks, 7 weeks, 62 weeks. This is the bit, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? Because we've all read our Bible, we've read Daniel, I'm not sure what that means. Well, a week here means a period of 7 years. A week means a period of 7 years, so 70 weeks is like 70 times 7 years or 490 years. Now, this is, I guess, roughly what Daniel might think now. This putting an end to sin is roughly 500 years away, Daniel. It's not quite going to happen like you thought straight away. So what Daniel's looking for and asking about here, well, it's not sort of next week or next month or next year when we get back to Jerusalem. It's actually um, approximately 500 years away. Well, that might be bad news for Daniel. He was sort of hoping it was all going to happen like next week or next month or next year. It's now 500 years away. That's not quite the full restoration Daniel was thinking about at that particular time. But think about this here in verse 25. As God shows the fulfilment of this vision and talking about um, this 500 years, he says there's one coming we're told about here in this Uh, last four verses. In verse 25 we see this, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word, so this is the going out of the word of uh, God's answer, to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, 
It's important for us to pick that up as we think about what's happening there. The coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. That's some of the difficulty again, these, these weeks. It's, it's best probably to add those two lots of weeks together, although some of the views will separate those two weeks, but we're not going to go there, okay? We're not going to go there. Then in the middle of verse 26, we see there the anointed one is cut off. So there's anointed one coming, and then the next verse, the anointed one is cut off and has nothing. Has nothing. I think with some confidence here we can say that the anointed one is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the anointed one coming. Because he will make an end to sin, and he will bring in everlasting righteousness. That's the anointed one coming. But the anointed one's going to get cut off as well. We just saw that in the next verse. He's going to be cut off. So the approximate dates there of when Daniel prayed back then, until the coming of Jesus, the anointed one, and also the anointed one being cut off, is approximately 500 years between the time Daniel prayed to that point. Now, there's a whole lot more technical detail I could go into today, but I won't. One of them I read, I read through really slowly, and I, I was struggling with it. So I'm not going not to put that upon you at this time. But if you want to come back to with any more questions or thoughts later, I'll be happy to do that. But here's the main thrust of these last four verses, and it's this. God has answered Daniel's humble prayer of restoration with a much bigger answer than what he expected. He was probably just expecting, oh, well, yeah, restoration of Judah or Israel back to the kingdom. But God gave a way bigger answer here. He said, no, no, it's going to be an end to sin and it's going to be an everlasting righteousness, way bigger than just a restoration of the kingdom. Now, with hindsight, here's what we can see. We can know that Jesus has come And he has put an end to sin through his life, death and resurrection, through his death on the cross. And now that we are justified by his resurrection, we can see that Jesus does fulfill here the anointed one who ultimately was cut off for us, but brings in his kingdom. Now, here's the beautiful thing we can see about the Lord in this. God stays true to his word. God stays utterly true to his word. God delights to answer Daniel's humble, heartfelt prayer with mercy and forgiveness and shows that ultimately through Jesus Christ, the anointed one for us. Now, Daniel didn't see the full restoration of the kingdom. As far as we can read here to the end of the book, Daniel doesn't even go back to Judah. He actually stays in Babylon. He stays there as a captive or an exile for the duration of his life. He can only see this, as it were, through the eyes of faith. That's where we all live too, is in the same place. We, we see a future coming, but we only see it today through the eyes of faith, not the eyes of reality. We have experience of that, but ultimately it's through the eyes of faith. And that's what Daniel saw, and he was really okay with that. God sustained him by his grace in Babylon that whole time. He didn't need to experience it here and now. He is experiencing it now, no question about that, but not then. So as we consider this, here's a few takeaways I think we we should think about and apply to our lives as well, particularly around prayer. Confessional prayer is good for us. We need to confess our sins. Owning our sinful brokenness and confessing it before the Lord is right. And we should do that. 
we should do that. But there can be objections to that. But Todd, if I do that, it might hurt my self-esteem. If I do that, I might be too vulnerable. If I do that, it's all too hard to face up. I I don't want to just verbalise it and speak it out. I I don't want to do that. Humbling ourselves and owning our sin is the pathway to receive God's grace. If we don't own it, if we don't confess it, it's not going to happen. We, we easily become the masters of hiding our own sin and we aren't willing to bring it out front. We aren't willing to own it. We aren't willing to acknowledge it. We hide all our baggage. We hide all our brokenness and we never let it become known. Some people are really good at doing it, but others aren't. Others aren't. Not, and forgetting that God sees everything. So we're not hiding anything from the Lord. If we, now we might think we're hiding from other people, but ultimately we are cutting ourselves short because through humble, uh, grace-filled, confessional prayer, God is able to transform us, being open about what our sinfulness is, coming before him and then allowing his grace to work in our hearts and lives. But someone else might object and say, but... Haven't I already asked for forgiveness when I became a Christian? Do I have to keep doing this over and over and over again? Isn't it just the one prayer at the start and that's it? Do I have to keep doing this? Yes. Yes. You see, in confessional prayer as a believer, we're not asking the Lord to forgive us again in a salvation sense. In that Maybe that first time we've really acknowledged our sin and we wanted to come before the Lord in prayer and, and ask for forgiveness for a whole lifetime of sinning. But there's a sense even as Christians we still continue to fall into sin. All of us, every single believer still falls into sin every day. So it's right for us to confess our sin before the Lord. To remain what? Humble. To remain open before the Lord. To remain vulnerable before him. And and knowing who we are, as God does, and knowing God is full of mercy and grace and delights to hear us pray in that way. What does 1 John 1, 9 say? Confess your sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He's speaking that to believers. It's good for us. It keeps us in a state of humility. It keeps us in a state of knowing we depend upon the Lord's forgiveness at all times. What does it do? It actually helps to maintain a growing relationship with the Lord. If we're trying to keep sweeping things under the carpet and never dealing with it, it just causes a blockage between us and the Lord. And the blockage is from our end, not from the Lord's end. Because we're not bringing it before him. What else can we say about Daniel? Uh, We need to pray in faith, trusting that however the Lord answers our prayers will be perfectly suited for us and his glory. Daniel didn't fully understand the Lord's answer. I'm sure he didn't when he was was hoping it was all going to work out there and then. And it definitely wasn't in the time frame Daniel was thinking. But we see that Daniel simply accepted the Lord's answer. He didn't whinge about it, didn't complain about it. He accepted the Lord's answer. And at the same time, Daniel also prayed here with a view of God's glory in mind. It's about you, God. It's about your glory. And with an attitude of praying of, you know, God, how can I make you look great in this prayer? Maybe when we pray, it could look like this. If we think about how can God be glorified through what I'm praying now? Maybe you or I've got to face a difficult situation. Here's how I might pray in that to sort of say, God, you be glorified in my life. Lord, help me. 
Help me to conduct myself in this situation so that you look glorious through this. Lord, help me as I'm working in this hard situation. Help me to honour you with the truth. Help me to be honest. Help me to be a person of integrity as I conduct myself through this hard situation. Here's another way to glorify God through prayer. Lord, as I come against this person, as I have to have this difficult conversation, help me to truly care for and love this person who's giving me an extremely hard time. Help me to do this so that you'll be glorified through this situation. Keep God's glory in the centre as we pray. And that will help us to be shaped into the image of Christ, but also help us to conduct ourselves well through prayer. Here's something else thinking about God and prayer. Pray, trusting and knowing that God is a merciful and forgiving God. Also pray, understanding that we come before him with nothing in our hand to deserve anything. We don't bring something to God as a bargaining chip to now get the answer to my prayer. Have a look in verse 18, the last half of verse 18. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness. It's nothing I've done, Daniel says. Lord, look at me. Look what I've achieved. Surely you must answer the prayer because of who I am and what I've done. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Because of your great mercy. God is merciful. Daniel knows that. Got to believe that. We don't come presenting ourselves. Believe that, that when we humbly come before him, confessing who we are in all of our unglory, before an all-glorious God, he delights, he delights in giving mercy to show himself great and to restore us in his joy. Don't think I've got to conjure something up in myself and that will recommend me to God. No. Come because he's a merciful God. Come and humbly confess that sin. Well, where do we find that mercy? Where do we find that mercy? Ultimately, we find that mercy in the anointed one from verse 26. The one who was cut off from us. Jesus was cut off so that we would never have to be cut off from God. Really important we get that. Jesus was was cut off so that we never have to be cut off from God. Jesus was cut off when he carried our sin to Calvary, where the Lord made an end to all of our brokenness and made an end to all of our sin and atoned for all of our sin once and for all. Jesus was cut off there and then for us. Jesus was cut off when he bore all of God's right wrath directed towards our sin. For all of our treacherous actions, Jesus was cut off for us. Jesus was cut off so that we would never have to be cut off from the Father. That's the gospel. That's the good news here. That's the mercy that Daniel's experiencing. He didn't know it fully then. He knows about it now. And we can look back in the benefit of hindsight and say that is what God was doing. That is how he would make an end to sin and bring in everlasting righteousness. This is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus is cut off so that I never have to be cut off. And now I can actually pray this way, confessional prayers, with faith and confidence in a merciful God who will forgive. And he does forgive. 
because of who Jesus is. You see, we all look for somebody or something in this world when times are tough and the times are hard. Maybe you're not a believer here today and, you're, and you, you do that. You, you look for somebody or something that will help you get through. He's the one who ultimately can heal us and restore us and get us through any situation. It's in Jesus Christ alone. And if you're a believer today, you might be thinking, but I fall often. You don't, you don't know how many times I fall in sin, Todd. It doesn't matter how many times you fall in sin. You keep coming back to the one who's faithful and just, who cleanses you of all unsin and forgives you of all unrighteousness. He picks you up again and again and again. He's a merciful God. As we conclude here, do you know that anointed one? Do you know this one we're talking about here in these final verses? This one who's come as the anointed one, but then who was cut off. Do you know him? Is he the one you're trusting in? Or are you still trying to hide this baggage, as it were, in the sort of corners of your life that nobody will see? But you carry this guilt, you carry this shame. Jesus wants to come and lift that guilt and shame by by telling you that he's paid for all of your sin at the cross. And you can find full and total forgiveness in what he has done for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can come and uh, open up Daniel chapter 9. Father, we thank you for this confessional prayer of sin that Daniel prays for on behalf of the nation of Israel. Uh, Lord, I pray today, please help us to be a people, to be a people who are humble, a people who no longer try and hide these things and push these things away to the back corners of our heart or our mind. Help us, Lord, to confess our sins. Help us, Lord, to bring these things out into the light. Help us to know that you're a good God who is filled with mercy and forgiveness. And that you delight in humble hearts coming before you and praying in this way. Help us to see, Lord, you're a God who delights in dispensing of this mercy and grace flooding us with your love and flooding us with your peace and flooding us, Lord, with your acceptance into your kingdom because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Help us to grasp that today, Lord, I pray. That we don't need to bring something to you in the way of recommending ourselves. We just come broken and we fall upon you for mercy and, Lord, you give. Well, for those today who are holding back and hiding this guilt and this shame in their life, Lord, and just trying to push it to the corner of their lives, I pray. Would you just speak into their hearts now, Holy Spirit, and just enable them to confess this sin and to to find the forgiveness and healing and wholeness that you bring and that restored relationship, God, that you delight in having with us. Father, today we ask that, we pray that, In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email. But we'd love for you to join us in person as well.